that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect. Now, I'm using an electronic version. If I recall, those of you could say, man, if you've got a, a, just a straight old school version of the Bible, you know, you're not up to, isn't that in red letters? So that means it's more important than the rest, right? But that's a red letter wording there. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. Where? In weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, hold, hallelujah. Brother Godwin said, when it says, therefore, you got to stop and look why it's there and what it's for. Therefore, I take pleasure. Oh, 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 that hurts just saying it. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. And then he stops for a moment and says, don't get depressed because I said that. Colon. Hold off. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes that verse is misquoted there because a lot, sometimes I've heard people say, when I'm weak, he is strong. Ah, uh-uh, I didn't say that. There's two personal pronouns there. I. For when I am weak, then, everybody say I. I, I am Strong. I want to talk to you today for a few moments on this subject. When pain unlocks your future. When pain unlocks your future. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I have never owned one, but I have seen many either being worn by someone or seeing them on display. But there are very few things that capture beauty quite like a pearl. Very few things that capture the imagination and the beauty of nature like a pearl. But to us, a pearl represents something of beauty. A pearl represents something of great value. But if you reverse the process and you go back to the beginning, there's a tiny little grain of sand, an irritant, floating along in the currents of the ocean, on the, ground, on, the, on, the, on the bottom of the ocean, whatever it may be. And that little grain of sand is somehow able to work its way into the tight seal of an oyster. And when that rough and coarse and uncomfortable grain of sand gets inside of the seal of the oyster, what to us is something of beauty, to us is something of great value, To that oyster, it starts off as great pain. And as that grain of sand gets inside that oyster and causes the irritant inside of that oyster, in response to that irritant, the oyster begins to create a substance around that grain of sand trying to smooth out the roughness of that grain of sand, trying to make it something smooth, something palatable, But the problem is, is that it doesn't just go away. And so the oyster continues to to coat that grain of sand layer after layer after layer after layer. And little by little, 
what started off as an irritant little by little begins to grow until one day someone comes along and fishes that oyster out of the sea and pops it open and to discover that inside of that oyster there's this beautiful round pearl. To the fishermen, it looks like something of beauty. To the fishermen, it looks of something of great value. But to the oyster, it represents a season of suffering. To the oyster, it represents a season of struggle. To the oyster, that pearl represents pain and suffering. To the fishermen, he's delighted. A smile comes somewhere along the line. He passes that oyster along to a... To, to whomever, the wholesaler, the wholesaler it sends it to the jeweler, and the jeweler puts it on an earring or puts it on a necklace or, or maybe grinds it down and puts it in some, some, some other uh, decorative piece. And all of a sudden now people walk around with this beautiful piece of jewelry or this beautiful decoration and everyone goes, wow, how beautiful it is. But to that oyster, that's pain. To the oyster... It represents not just a moment of suffering, but to that oyster, it represents day after day after day after day of trying to deal with something that floated along and got into your life. Something that the winds and currents of time, the winds and currents of life floating along, you're just sitting there, you're not asking for trouble, but somehow that tight seal of your heart, that piece of sand somehow gets in your heart and all of a sudden now you're dealing with an irritant. And Paul begins to write to the church in Corinth and he says it this way. I'm going to paraphrase it. Paul says this to the church. Pain happens. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, pain happens. We don't like to say that because from a logical point of view, it would seem that it would be right for God to reward those that are working for Him with a pain-free life. And certainly it would seem that someone in Paul's stature, a missionary, an evangelist, a, a church planner, a, 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 a writer of the New Testament, someone that was working tirelessly day and night trying to advance God's people, it would certainly seem that somewhere along the line, if anybody would get a free pass from pain, Paul would get a free pass for pain. Because you see, if I was God... I might look at it that way. Listen, the harder you work, look, I'll give you a pass. Because as human beings, that's how we look at it. Pain is something we shun. Pain is something we don't want to deal with. Pain is something we don't want to experience. And it would certainly seem like the loving creator, God of the universe, the, the, the one who is love, not just is about love, but whose definition is love, whose DNA is love. We're not talking about someone who just loves, but we're talking about something, someone whose substance is love. We would think more than anything, he would be the one that would want your life to be as pain-free as possible. And unfortunately, as we read... Paul did not get a pass in the pain category. In fact, as he's running around planting churches and evangelizing and writing 
letters to people and, and missionary journeys. And he's doing all these things for God. And he's even taking the gospel to the Gentiles. While we're here today, while you and I are here today outside of uh, two people. I don't know of anybody else that, that, that is Jewish that's in here today. Maybe you are, but I know of two. Outside of that, the reason the 99% of us are here is because Paul took the message to the Gentiles. And so Paul is writing about all this. He's doing all this. But in the middle of this, he doesn't get a pass in the pain category. In fact, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 11, which is just before he mentions all this, Paul gives us his resume of suffering. He says this. He talks about multiple imprisonments, beatings, floggings, canings, life-threatening experiences, stonings, shipwrecks, a night and a day floating in the middle of the sea. He talked about not having enough food. He talked about not having enough clothing. He talked about not having enough sleep. He talked about not having enough friends. He talked about being uh, tempted with temptation. He talked about anxiety and all the kind of stuff he was dealing with because he said, on top of all this, the care of the church. So Paul's giving his insight and all this stuff that's swirling around inside of him and all this stuff. And if that wasn't enough, then he says, I've got this thorn in the flesh. If, if beatings and stonings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and floating around in the middle of the ocean is not good enough, being hungry and being sick and being tired and not having proper place to lay my head and not having friends and being tempted and all this stuff, I mean... He gets a thorn in the flesh. And in this thorn in the flesh was straight out of hell bad. I mean, you, got, you may have problems here, but Paul had a straight out of hell problem. Because go back to what that scripture says. It says, a messenger sent from Satan to buffet me. Not buffet, but buffet me. I want to go to the buffet, but I'm not interested in the buffet. But I want to buffet the buffet sometimes. I will say that. That word buffet literally means to beat on. So that means, say, I've got all this problem, God. I've got this problem. I've got to do this. I mean, some of us, if we had a chance today... You could come up here and sing your song and tell us all your problems. I've been through this, and I've been through that, and I've been through this, and I've been through that, and I've been through this. And I guarantee you there's not one person in here today whose list of suffering would be equal to Paul. And everything he's been through, everybody in here looks like they have clothes on, thank God. Most of the people in here today at least have enough food. You may not have exactly what you want, but you're, you're, you're probably not going hungry consistently. If you are, see me. I'll help you out. You may not have all the friends in the world, but you, you, you've got some friends. I mean, you've got some stuff going for you. But Paul, man, this guy is in the middle of it. And on top of that, Satan sends this problem that literally the Bible describes it as a messenger sent to Paul to beat on him. And Paul goes to God and says three times, please, God, please take this from me. Please, God, please, God, 
this from me. God! <laughs> Yo! Take it from me. And he said, I prayed three times. And when I say pray three times, I don't believe he meant he's prayed three little, Lord, take this from me, prayers. I think he was talking about three seasons of prayer. Because there's some prayers you pray, you don't pray just once. You pray them for a season. So when Paul says, I prayed three times, I don't believe necessarily he was meaning he went to God three times. I mean, I think he went through three seasons of prayer. Praying. And if you know Paul and you read some of his writings, you know Paul knew how to pray. And I imagine there were times in his desperation, he was like, I got to get a hold of God for this. I can't live like this. And Paul, God, God, you got to take this from me. I won't ask anybody to raise your hand today, but I guarantee you 99% of the people in this room today, you have prayed and begged God to take pain out of your life. You have begged God. And some of you have begged him just once. You've begged him twice. Some of you have begged him three times. Some of you may be on number four, number five. God, please. God, please. I know you're faithful. I mean, when I pray, I start pulling out the stops, okay? I don't know how you pray. I start pulling out scripture. I start pulling, God, you did it for this person. You did it for that person. And your word says you're no respecter of person. So you got to do it for me because you did it for them. Okay, God, I'm waiting. Nothing. Let me tell you this. You may be able to manipulate human beings, but there are no negotiations with God. I know Donald Trump says he's the master negotiator, but even Donald Trump ain't negotiating with God. You don't negotiate with God. And let's be honest, maybe you haven't, but I've been there. Okay, God, look, I'll do what you want me to do. But if I do that, you got to do this. Okay, look, look, I'll give you a little bit over here. I'll, I'll, I'll come to church more and I'll worship more and I'll, I'll even teach a Bible study and I'll, I'll do this. But God, on this hand, you got to help me out here. I can't live like this. So I jump in and do that. Guess what God does? Nothing. And I go to God, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. And God said, I never made a bargain. And we get in this cycle. And, and the problem is, what happens to most of us, our life becomes about praying about our irritants. We spend half of our prayer time not seeking God, but seeking to get this stuff out of our life. And Paul prayed three seasons of prayer, and the pain didn't go away. Whatever the problem was, apparently it stayed with Paul for a long time. If, if some scholars think it stayed with him the rest of his life. Some say that it was because Paul had a hunchback. I'm sorry. I don't believe Paul would describe a hunchback as a messenger of Satan sent to beat on him. But whatever this is. But if you even go back farther, Jesus himself understood pain. I mean, the Bible says Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and wept over the unrepented sin of Israel, the unrepented unbelief of Israel. We understand that Jesus experienced pain of the cross, pain of betrayal, pain of rejection, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. If our Savior himself could not escape pain, if Paul, the great writer, could not escape pain, if these men could not escape pain, 
it makes it pretty obvious to me that pain is a part of life. Usually life starts with a good slap in the butt, one breath, and usually it's downhill from there. You might have some good years in between, but for most of us, we look back on our life. Very few of us really celebrate the good times. Most of us look at the things we've been through, the pain. And we try to live our life avoiding the pain to, 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 to elevate the good times, but only to find out pain still comes. There's pain in love. There's pain in marriage. There's pain in family. There's pain in church. There's pain in walking with God. There's pain in past. There's pain in present. There's pain. I know I'm not making friends today. But ultimately, Paul begins to tell us something here that's great of, of great importance. And he says this, pain has a purpose. First thing he says to the church in Corinth is, pain happens. The second thing Paul says to them is, but don't be dismayed because pain has a purpose. Now this theology that pain has a purpose is not easy for us to grasp because it's, again, it's hard for us to wrap our head around why a loving God would let any of His children or anybody in this world suffer. The, the old adage, why would good things happen to bad people? Why would God allow any of us who are truly good people or moral people or upright people, why would God allow any of us to experience pain? And The theology of pain, the theology of this understanding that pain serves a purpose is hard for us to wrap our mental and emotional minds around. Because if I told you today to tell somebody pain has a purpose, it's hard for them to believe it because it's hard for you to believe it. Because I say pain has a purpose, your immediate reaction is, well, really, I, it's hard for me to believe that. And then we use that scripture out of context. We tell people, you know, the Bible says that he will not put anything on you more than you can bear. Uh, time out. The Bible didn't say that. I've heard preachers say that. I've heard, I've heard saints say that. I've heard people on TV say that. I've heard people on the radio say that. You know, hang in there. God will never put anything on you more than you can bear. Really? Really? Because the scripture that they're even referring to talks about temptation. That God's not going to tempt you beyond more than you can bear. But, but bring stuff in you. Why? Why is God doing this? What is the purpose of... Why does it seem like I get rid of one problem only to get another one? Why does it feel like my life is a cycle of pain and suffering? Why does it feel like I've got all these balls I'm juggling in the air of pain and problems and difficulty and I just seem to find no answer in all of it? And it seems like when one gets solved, that only leaves a room open for another one to take its place. The frustration of that. But really, ultimately, to look at theology of pain, you've got to look at it from the purpose that the pain has. Because the lessons that pain teaches us, the things that we garner in our pain, 
can only be learned in the classroom of suffering. And only the student in the classroom can find the answers. There are things that we will never learn about God. There are things we will never learn about ourselves. There are things we'll never come to the end in ourselves without pain. I wish there was somehow we could say that wasn't the case. I wish somehow today I could come down and give you a big hug and say, listen, one, two, three, problems are going away. But the fact of the matter is, is that's not the case. That, that is not the case. And, and to sit here and tell you that if, if you're a guest here today, and we're so glad you're here, but if, for me to stand here today and lie to you and say, listen, if you become a, a Christian, if you give your life to God, your life will become perfect. I am leading you down a road that's eventually going to come to an end. Because yes, as a Christian, it is a great life, but it's not a pain-free life. I expected a few more amens out of that. Whether you've been living for God for a minute, you've been living for God for a week, maybe you've been living for God for a month, there are some that are living for God for decades. They would testify today, living for God is not pain-free. But when I look back in my pain, I find that I learn things about myself, I learn things about God that I would have never discovered without the pain. There are some things you can't learn from a pulpit. There are some things you can't learn because you sit down and have a Bible study. There are some things you can't learn by singing a song. There are some things you can't learn by coming to church. There are some things you've got to go through the darkness of the valley so you can look up and see the mountain that's before you. But there's something that happens in the journey to the mountaintop. The excruciating pain of the step-by-step of, of, of pain and suffering, of bleeding feet and cut-up hands and elbows that are scraped and knees that are scraped and, and bones that are out of joint and, and muscles that are aching. But when you get to the top of the mountain, you value the experience of the journey. Because without the pain and suffering, it'd be too easy to throw it all away. Without pain and suffering, it's too easy to say, well, the cross is of no value today. God's blood is of no value today. Really, it's take it or leave it because, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. But when you've experienced pain, but in that pain, it has driven you to the foot of the cross. And you've looked up and you've seen the cross in all of its glory. And you've seen the blood of Calvary trickling down on that cross. And the blood that was on that cross... 2,000 years ago that got in your life and began to ease the pain and suffering when you've experienced that you're able to look somebody in the eye and say listen I know from a logical standpoint of view it doesn't make sense how a man dying 2,000 years ago can affect me today but let me tell you I've been through pain I've been through the valley I've been through the darkness I've been through the flood I've been through suffering I've been rejected I've been hurt I've been abused I've been scorned I've done all this but the grace and mercy of the blood found me But unlike Paul, 
It's hard for most of us, most, all of us, I would say all of us, including myself. Like Paul, it's hard for, for us to find that purpose in the beginning of the pain. Let's look at another character in the Bible, someone very familiar to most of us, and that is the character of Joseph. Joseph was a young boy. He had older brothers. And uh, his father kind of grew fond of Joseph. And in the middle of this, this kind of family dynamic, Joseph receives a dream, a vision. And in the vision, in the dream, he sees certain symbolic elements a moon, he sees some, some sheaves. These different symbolic elements represent to Joseph his destiny, his future. And in his exuberance, he goes and he tells his brothers what he had seen, expecting probably that they would rejoice in him and say, that's it, Joseph, go get it, buddy. We're behind you. You're on, we're on your team. Whatever you need, we just want to be on your team. Expecting that, but in return... He finds his brothers turning on him in anger. And the Bible says, if you have never read the story, the Bible says that in their jealousy and their rage and their anger towards him, they throw him into a pit. How deep the pit was, the Bible does not specify, but it was at least deep enough he couldn't jump out, he couldn't climb out. It was deep enough that even his cry and faint, faint cries for help probably were drowned out by the steep walls of the pit. And he's sitting down there and after a while, the chattering of his brothers fades away and now he's looking up and there's nobody. He's alone and he's sitting there. And most of us may not be able to experience that today, but there are some of you in here today, you know what it's like to be rejected by those who you love the most. It's one thing for you to reject me and I don't know you, but it's another thing for a, a, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a husband or a wife or a child or to, to reject you. That's a whole other element of reject. For my neighbor to reject me, I can, I can deal with that. It's not easy, but I can deal with it. For my coworker to reject me, I, I can deal with it. For my, my 17th cousin to reject me, I can deal with that. But when my, my own flesh and blood with whom I share DNA, when they reject me, that's a whole other thing. And I can imagine the, the plight of Joseph, if just, just for a moment, if you will allow me to, just imagine Joseph sitting down in that pit after he had become exhausted from yelling, after he had become exhausted from the cries of help, and he sinks down in that pit. And you can't tell me, sitting there today, that, that that young boy, that teenage boy, filled with so much hope, filled with so much dreams, filled with so much expectation, didn't sit in that pit. Tears begin to flow. Oh, we, we talk so tough. We think... You know, we, we put on the persona, we can handle anything. But when the lights go off, there's a lot of stains on the pillow. I imagine there, Joseph, he just, tears begin to swell up in his eyes and begin to pour out. And finally, the story goes, and I'm not going to go into great detail, just giving the highlights, the cliff note, go back and read it, it's a great story. But after a period of time, he hears a chattering at the top, 
of the pit, and he's thinking, well, maybe they've changed their mind. Thank goodness. I get out of here. It's all big misunderstanding. And you know what? We'll deal with it, and we'll go on with it. And here's his brothers yelled down and said, Joseph, come on up here. Throw down the rope, and Joseph begins to climb out of this pit thinking, boy, it's finally going to change. Boy, finally. That was just a, just a season. I'm getting through that. How many of us have thought that? We thought, okay, finally, it's, it's getting better. Whew. Thank goodness. So we, that was rough, but you know what? If that's all there was, uh, um, we can handle it. Oh, don't sit there like you've never felt that before. And we felt, you know what? Finally, all that was just, it's just a, just a bad dream. And, he, and he's climbing up, and when his, his little teenage eyes peek over the rim of that pit, all of a sudden, wait a minute, I know you, and I know you, and I know you, and I... I know you, I know you. Who are these guys? Why are they here? Come on up here, Joseph. Um, We've sold you to these. You what? You did what? We've sold you. What do you mean you sold me? I didn't know I belonged to you. We sold you. You're going to be their slave. What? Time. Can I go back to the pit? Because how many, honestly, be honest, how many of us have got out of one problem to only discover another to wish, hey, you know, I'll go back to that problem. That wasn't too bad. Well, let's just get down and be real. How many of you, you thought you had problems with you were single? You got married, you got double the problems. You're like, boy, you know what? I was lonely and, you know, it was, but hey, I go back to those problems. Keep your eyes straight ahead. No right to the left. No breathing heavy. Arms down. We don't need anything to be given away. But let's be honest. You know, you're single. You're like, Man, if I could just get a good man, a good woman, everything's going to be good. And you get a good man, you get a good woman, only find out they're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And you're thinking, my God, I thought I had problems before. Take me back, Jesus, to the place where I first began. And he gets out of the pit and he looks around and he sees these guys there. And he's thinking, good grief, man. The pit wasn't that bad. I don't know if I'd have survived it, but... Chained to the back of that caravan, and there goes Joseph on his journey into the great unknown. Finally, gets to Egypt, and make a long story short, he is taken into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar, being a very, very high-powered Egyptian official, and he goes into this Potiphar's house, and he begins to 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 uh, to to work in Potter's house and actually become begins to be elevated in Potter's house. He was he, he must have been a, a great leader, must have been a, had great worth, acted great character, and he was elevated in Potter's house. And everything's going good again, right? Boy, we're finally getting out of this. No more pit slavery thing. Look, we're learning to adjust with it. It's not that bad. I can live with it. You know, I don't like it, but hey, I'm making the best out of the situation. Not that bad. And then one day, oh, Mrs. Potiphar walks into Joseph's room and they begin to have this exchange and Joseph's like look I've been through a pit woman I've been through slave I don't need anything else and in her jealous rage the Bible says she reached up she grabbed part of his garment ripped it off and as soon as he walks out of the room she yells 
security, security. They come in and she said, look, this man got me. All of a sudden now, here he is again. I imagine he gets taken out of Potter's house and now he's thrown into prison. Now let's be honest. He would have had to have a real good talking with the Lord. We're beyond prayer meetings. We're just having a talk now. Forget prayer. Prayer is this, oh, blessed Father God of Creator, you know how wonderful you are. No, 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 no. We're past all that. Now we're into, hey, you, oh, down here, you and I got to talk. And I imagine he said, listen, I didn't ask for that dream. I didn't ask for the, the coat. My dad gave me that coat. And you gave me the dream. And yes, looking back on it, probably not the smartest thing to tell my brothers. I pr- yeah, that was on me, but you were the one that put it in me, okay? You can't blame me. I was a teenager. I didn't know any better. I was just trying to tell them. But now, now, why are you... Now, now this, ready, ready? Why are you punishing me, God? Ready? Ready? What did I do wrong? Oh! And no, no one's ever asked that question. God, what did I do wrong? I mean, my brothers, they're probably back having a good time. They're probably back having parties and, and having friends, and, and they're probably going out in Dad's sports car, and they're doing all kinds of fun stuff, and, and I'm in a prison, and I, I didn't even do anything wrong. God, what did I do wrong? Why are you punishing me? I mean, my neighbor... You can, look, I know, I watch them. They yell at each other, they fight, the kids are crazy. They don't go to church, I at least come to church. I'm here today, it may be my first time, but I'm at least here, give me some credit, God. Why are you picking on me? And a series of time begins to unfold in Joseph's life. The specifics of the time period, we don't know, but we know it was, a, it was more than just a few weeks. It, it, was, a, it was a season of time. Probably into the years. He's in this prison. And the Bible says he begins to work himself up in the prison again. He, he begins to work his way up in prison. And finally, in, in, a, in a series of events that take place, and shortened, giving you the short version, he interpreted some dreams uh, for Pharaoh and all this kind of stuff. He's elevated. And finally, Pharaoh, Egypt was about to enter in a great, great season of famine, where there was going to be great famine. And and Joseph, through the wisdom of God, told Pharaoh how to deal with that famine. And because he he was so wise and and his his understanding was so keen, Pharaoh elevated him to a position higher than you can imagine. And then part of that, on the other side of uh, of things, his brothers that were left, the pit the pit throwers, the rejectors, the ones that put them in that, they're over there and they're starting to run out of food and they're starting to experience problems and they get on a journey to come to where he is. And now all of a sudden, the tables are turned and instead of him looking up at them, they're looking up at him. And they're begging, please, we need food, we need shelter, we're dying out here. And it was up to Joseph whether or not he was going to forgive. And make a long story short, he forgave them and saved his brothers. But in that middle of all of that pain, 
was his pain that unlocked his future. Because you didn't know this. Joseph didn't know. We don't know. At the same time that Joseph was in all of that pain and suffering. Somewhere on the other side of the globe, winds begin to shift in the atmosphere. Now all of a sudden, patterns that would bring rain and abundance to Egypt, all of a sudden now those winds begin to shift. And where rains would come, now dryness and desert was starting to creep into Egypt and food was starting to dry up at the same time. Over at this part, that, that, that God was working over in Canaan with his brothers, softening their hearts, softening all that's going on. Over here, God's working on this. God's working on that. God's working on this. And every time Joseph is in pain and pain and pain, God's working on Joseph. Because let's be honest, if he'd have left the pit, gone straight to the palace, Brother Jolin, you know what he would have done? His brothers would have showed up and he said, ha, ha, ha. Oh, how the tables have turned, my dear brothers. It was only last week you threw me in there, but now you want food? I don't think so. You need to suffer a little bit, and then I'll give you some food. But the entire time, Joseph is getting his heart softened. Pain is softening and tenderizing his heart. It's breaking up the fallow ground in his heart. It's pulling out the rocks and the weeds and the junk of his past. Everything's being pulled out. Yes, it's suffering. Yes, it's pain. But in that pain, he said, I am weak, but I am strong. It wasn't for all that pain, all the stuff working. It would not have happened. Maybe, just maybe, your rejection of your family that drove such a wedge in your heart is the very thing that brought you to God. But you coming to God will be the very thing that bridges a gap back to your family so they can be saved. Yes, do we want to go through pain? No, but maybe it was the pain that you went to that drove you to your knees to a cross that said, God, I can't live this anymore. Help me. But in finding God, you built a bridge for your family. Maybe it's the pain that's softening your heart for the ministry that God has for you so that when you get that ministry, you don't do it with such a heavy hand telling everybody what they should do and dictating to them how to live their life, but you look at them with compassion to say, listen, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He can help you. Because why? Because the pain has broken up the hardness of your heart. And now, instead of there being judgment coming out of your eyes, there is compassion. You know why people are judgmental? They haven't gone through the pain yet. People that have been through pain aren't judgmental. People that have been through pain have compassion. Because they know what it's like to hurt. They know what it's like to feel alone. They know what it's like to sit on the bedside and tears swell up in your eyes. They know what it's like. They know what it's like. They know what it's like. And so when they look at somebody that's struggling, they don't sit back and say, how dare you do that? Get your act together. But they look and say, listen, I know right now in your life, it may be difficult. I know it may be hard right now. But listen to me, my friend. Listen, when you can't walk, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry you until you get strong enough to walk on your own. I'll be there. Because why? Because when I was in pain, somebody carried me. 
When I was down, somebody cared for me. When I was hurting, somebody put their arm around me. When I had tears down my cheek, somebody cared for me. That pain breaks open the river of love to flow out of you. Yeah, it's not easy. No one's volunteering for that. That's one class you're not signing up for. But it happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. Some of you in this place today, you've been through horrible things. Some of you in this place, you have been through absolutely God-awful things that it, no human being should ever suffer through. But in that pain and suffering, you have unlocked a level of compassion that God can tap into that's so much deeper than anyone in this room so that when you look at somebody that's been abused, someone that's been hurt, you know what it feels like. You can go in there and you can pour out compassion because you know I've been there. I've been there. I know what it's like. The whole time Joseph's going through all this pain and suffering seemingly for no reason. Every time it seems like he gets rid of one thing, only another greater thing comes along. But it was all working out so that when he could sit in his place in God, he could sit there with a gentle heart and a right spirit. I believe God has a plan and purpose for everybody in this place. If you're brand new here today, this is your first time, I will say this with all sincerity. God has a plan and purpose for your life. But along that pain and purpose, there's going to have to be some things that are going to be chiseled out of your life. It's not fun when God takes his chisel and places it against your skin and begins to knock at your life. It hurts, it's pain, there's bleeding, there's suffering, there's tears. But you know what? When I look back on that, I realize if it wasn't for the pain, I would not be standing here today. My pain had unlocked my future. If it wasn't for the fact that you had been driven to drugs and alcohol, if it wasn't for the fact you were empty, you were alone, you were depressed, you didn't know what to do, it would not have driven you to an altar where you would have lifted up your hands. But in this particular passage, Paul speaks of a special message from the Lord. Again, in your Bible, if you're you're holding a printed Bible today, it's in red letters. It says, Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But just for a second, leave that up there for a second. This is a a word from God to Paul. My grace is sufficient. But just for a moment, and I'm, I'm closing here, just for a moment, realize something. According to Paul's writing, now we don't know what happened outside of his writings, but according to Paul's writings, he did not hear from God like this quite often. According to most scholars, the timeline of Jesus' crucifixion happened somewhere around 30 AD, give or take a few, but somewhere along that. About five years later, give or take a few, we don't know exact dates, but give or take a few, five years later, Paul, at the time, was a high official in, in, the, in, in the ruling class of the Pharisees. 
And he's going around and he's trying to eradicate this Christian cult, this Christian religion, this Christian fanaticism that's driving people away from the law of Moses and to this grace doctrine that this Jesus preached. And Paul's doing this. And on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that a great light sh- uh, would shine to Paul, smacked him off his horse or off his animal and blinded his eyes and sent him down the road of salvation. And, and God spoke to Paul there very clearly. A big booming voice came out of heaven, spoke to Paul. So we know that happened. And then on the other side, of, just a few weeks later, Paul d- d- writes about an encounter that he has with God. In fact, I think it was in, uh, somewhere in Acts 22. He writes about God speaking to him about taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Before that moment, he probably wouldn't even have shared a meal. He probably wouldn't have given a Gentile a crumb, but God spoke to him. So we have two very specific encounters with God that happen within weeks. But Paul goes 16 years between these types of encounters. 16 years of absence between when God spoke to him about salvation and when God spoke to him just a few weeks later about taking the message to the Gentile. We have about a 16-year gap between this until Paul finally pins, my grace is sufficient for you. Two miraculous encounters within a few weeks, but then 16 years between These miraculous messages. 16 years. Paul goes by. 16 years before he finally gives us insight to another encounter. So you know what that means to you and me? That for most of Paul's suffering, Jesus didn't send him a word. God, I can make it through this if you just send me a word. Give me a word. Have the preacher tell me. Have someone come along and pray for me. Give me a word. Give me a word. Give me a word. I need a word. I need a word. I need a word. I need a word. But Paul, shipwrecked, no word. Hungry, no word. Famine, no word. Holes in his shoes, no word. People rejecting him, no word. Being beaten, no word. In prison, no word. Floating out in the middle of the deep, no word. No word. Peter, the leader of the post-Pentecost church, only lists a few miraculous encounters with God. That where God spoke to him directly. We could go on, the list could go on and on, but 16 years, that's a lot of suffering. We read it. I don't want to go back and read it again. That's 16 years. Suffering. He's going through shipwreck and prison, beaten, cane, you name it. I got it. Can you imagine the scars on his body? I mean, good Lord, we, we sleep on posturepedic, air-driven, coil-spring, pillow-floating, down uh, mattresses, and we all got back problems. And he's laying on the ground, using rocks as pillows, Sleeping out in the cold. And at this point in his life, I don't think Paul was, was, was a young guy. I imagine, 
Oh, Paul, and I, and, and I don't think there was many chiropractors that even Brother Whaley, who knows how to pop your back, there wasn't many there. I imagine he's like, I mean, Paul walked around a little, and on top of that, a lot of places he was going, he was walking on foot with no Nikes, no Under Armour, no Reebok, no walking company, no Uggs, just a little piece of leather strapped to his feet with some string. We're good to go. Can you imagine? I mean, let's be honest. Toes had to be gnarly. Fingers had to be broke. Back had to be busted up. Chronic pain. I imagine the chronic pain just from that. But on top of all the scars he was carrying from being beaten and not having the sufficient diet he needed, that was a messed up fella. And on top of all that, there's a messenger from Satan that's beating on him continuously. And on top of that, God's not sending him words every day. God's not sending him miraculous lights from heaven saying, Paul, you know what? I, you can make through a lot if you know there's a purpose to it. Nobody here likes surgery. Nobody like here likes the recovery of surgery. But we can endure the recovery of surgery because we know at the end of this, we should be better. I underline should. Thank you, doctors. I had surgery on my hip, and it was a nine-month recovery. It wasn't a fun nine months, but you know what? I'd endure it nine months because I knew at the end of the nine months, according to the doctor, I wouldn't have problems anymore. You can endure a lot of stuff when you have an end to it, but it's hard to endure something when there seems to be no end. Paul's going through all this, but in the moment, somewhere along the line, Paul began to discover that pain happens. But there's a purpose in pain. But even greater than that, Brother Willie, there is power in pain. Because it's the pain that drives us closer to him. And when we get closer to him, we see him in a greater way. He unlocks things in us in a greater way. We find him in a greater way. And Paul eventually changes his tune and says, I'm so glad. I've got infirmities. Go, go down the next verse, number 10. I'd rather go, therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities. You don't say that if you haven't found the purpose. He said, I take pleasure in my infirmities and approaches and necessities and persecution and stress for Christ's sake because I've learned something. The weaker I get, the stronger I get. Because the more I come to the end of myself, the more I realize that he is great. I hold in my hand today a blank key. I bought it at the hardware store for $1.89 before tax. <laughs> but it's a blank key. Everything in this key is smooth. doesn't really irritate my skin to rub it, to touch it, because all of these edges of this key are perfectly smooth. Both sides are smooth. But you know what the problem with a blank key is? It doesn't unlock anything. You can't unlock anything with a blank key. But if you take this key to the right person, 
They put it in that vice and they get it up next to that machine. And that machine begins to turn at the high RPMs and the noise begins to increase. And all of a sudden you hear the grinding. All of a sudden the machine begins to cut deeply into this key. What once was perfect, what once was smooth, now becomes cut, distorted, changed. It becomes edgy, rough. You take your finger and you rub it over it. It doesn't feel so good anymore. The points of the key begin to poke at you. But because that key has gone through the process of being shapen, if it was left alone, it had no value. If it was left alone, it only had potential. If it was left alone, it could go, go beyond no farther than where it is now. This is all this key could ever be. We could talk about what it could be. We could talk about what it could unlock. We could talk about the possibilities and the grandness of what's behind the doors that you could shape this key to unlock. But this key cannot do anything in its current state. But this key has to be put on a grinder. This key has to be put on a machine and things have to start cutting into it. Some go deeper than others. Some are shallower. Some patterns are ripples and others are great valleys and great mountains. But in the process of the pain for the key, there is a potential that's being unlocked and what was seemingly to be pain is unlocking future. Some of you in here today, it'd be easier if I was left like this. Lord, take it all away. Huh. I like this. Come to church, yeah. We can talk about how good you are. I like that. I talk about, but you know, man, this, is, this is an easy life. Smooth. This is why sometimes... I mean this, I'm going to depress somebody. I know right now I'm going to depress you. I'm going to send you in a spiral. I don't mean to. That's why sometimes God doesn't heal everything in your life. You can pray. You can fast. You can beg God. Some things he doesn't heal. He helps you with grace, but doesn't heal it. Why? Because there's some valleys he can't take away. Because if he took away those value valleys, he'd take away your value. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to listen to that. But the fact of the matter is, if we're left untouched, we have no power. But when we let the Holy Ghost begin to work on us, begin to grind us, all of a sudden now, the pain, we begin to see. I'm not a blank key anymore. I'm not a blank key anymore. I'm not a blank key anymore. You know what? I don't understand the pain every time. I don't understand why I've gone through what I've gone through. But I understand that there's something being shaped in my life. And what's happening in my life? God is shaping 
my future. God is shaping what he's doing in my life. Yeah, there's a lot of people in here that haven't had to go through what you've gone through. There's a lot of things about what you've gone through that are really unfair. God, I'm 21. I'm trying to get my life started, and now my life has totally changed and come to a stop, and now I've got to deal with this, not just for a season, but, Lord, now I deal with this for the rest of my life, and there's a potential that in a few years I've got to go back to this whole thing. I don't understand it because you're not a blank key. You're not a blank key. You're not a blank key. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why God has taken me on the path he's taken me. I don't understand why it's been ups and downs. But I know one thing, I'm not a blank key. I'm not a blank key. I'm not a blank key. And yes, I don't want the pain, but I understand that there is a purpose in the pain because it's the pain that is beginning to work in my life. It's the pain and the disappointment and the things I've been through and the ups and the downs that are creating the necessary patterns in my life so that then when the door stands before me that would remain locked, I can say, wait a minute, I recognize this door because I've got the key. There's nothing more frustrating than being locked out of somewhere. And they say, can you get in? No, I, I, I've, I forgot my key. I've lost my key. Wait a minute. There are great things in there. There's great things in, inside there. I know I've got food and I've got clothing. I've got my bed in there. I've got everything in my house, but I can't get in my house. Why? Because I've lost my key. There's one thing to get at the end of it and to find out I don't have the right key because I wasn't willing to go through what needed to go through to get my key shaped. You know what's amazing? The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the gates of heaven are made with what? Say that a little louder, those of you. Pearls. That when the infinite architect of the universe is creating his masterpiece that is heaven, and he could pick any substance to make a door with, he said, I'm going to make it out of pearl. I want the door into my paradise for the door that represents it took some pain to get here. If I, if I, hey, if I was creating heaven, I'd have made it. I mean, the door would in gold, put some jewels on it, had some flashing lights. I mean, come on, let's be honest. It would have been, we, we, in, in today's world, we would have blinged it out. I mean, we would have made this, we made this door in heaven. I mean, we would have just, you, you would have wanted to go to heaven because the door would have been like, my goodness. But God said, if I, when I create the way in, the way in is going to be made through pain. The way in to heaven is in pain. I know there's some of you here today that every day you get up, you deal with immense pain. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's the pain of a loved one, the pain of lost dreams, whatever it is. Pain, 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 pain. I know it. I know it. But let me tell you something in the Holy Ghost today. That pain will be the very thing 
that unlocks your future. I know you don't see it now. I, I know it. I know you don't get it right now. I know. I know, Paul. And on top of that, it's even harder. It seems like the deeper the pain, the less you hear from God. But let me tell you something in this, that there is a purpose in pain. And can I say that if you look out throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that the plan of God in our lives goes hand in hand with the pain that we go through. That the purpose of God on our right is always balanced with the pain on our left. And we look at it in today's world through human theology. We say, that's not fair, God. It should be the opposite. The more we get in you, the less pain we should experience. But God says no, because the greater the door, the deeper the key's got to be cut. You want a little padlock? Go get a little tiny key. They had some keys there yesterday. They were like that big. The lady said, you want that key? I said, no. I said, give me the biggest key you got. That's cheap. <laughs> She's like, well, we got this key. It's $11. I, I don't have that much faith. Give me, you got anything under like three bucks. <laughs> like, what's $11 key? It's like that big. I'm like, that'll be good. We got video cameras. We'll get it captured. We don't need that. But you get a little key. I mean, a key. Dude, I mean, there were some keys there for padlock. I mean, they were like, they weren't even an inch tall. Those little keys, I mean, you don't even have to barely get into them. Not a big deal. But you're not opening anything. Yeah, you may open a padlock to a locker filled with an old lunch and some dirty books from school. You may open a bicycle chain, but you're not opening anything of greatness. Because in order for the big doors to open, you got to have a key to match the door. So you know what? Avoid the pain. God says, there's only so much I can do in your life if you're not willing to go through the end of it. But you know what? Let's be honest. Even though all this is great, all this is wonderful, it doesn't make it any easier doesn't make Paul say, you know what, Woo! would somebody come along and beat me? Paul didn't roll up in the city and say, listen, I'm here to preach. I'm here to save people. And I'm here to get people mad so I can get beat, thrown into prison, and have no food. So let's get it going. No. He didn't do that. He understood that everything he was going through wasn't the punishment of God, wasn't because God was mad, but he began to understand everything I'm going through in my infirmities, in my weakness, my necessities, I'm learning something. I am weak, but I am strong. Maybe you're here today and you're going through the depths of pain. Maybe you're here today and you're like Paul. You prayed, God, take it from me. God, take it from me. God, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And God continuously has left you with no answer. God has continuously seemed like he has been distant. But that's not the case at all. The very fact of the matter is, is that your key is being fashioned in the master's hand. And there'll be a day that comes that he'll take you off of that machine 
and you'll stand before the door of your future. And you'll look at that key, Andrew, and you'll reach down and you'll unlock something that you would have never unlocked if it wasn't for this journey. Yeah, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Why, why, not, why not Andrew? Why you? Why not Shane? Why you? I don't know. But I know one thing, that everything God brings in our life or everything that, allows, that comes in our life is fashioning something in us. All those days in the hospital seeming like, what's the purpose of this, God? There's purpose in all of this. There's purpose in all this. Because in the weakness of your humanity, there's strength in your spirit. I believe today that God wants to touch somebody in a great way. Some of you today, that you're in the pain and you don't know what to do with it. You're in the pain and you're struggling how to deal with it. Can I tell you something today? That there is purpose in that. If you would let the if you would let God touch you today, God would begin to give you grace. He said, listen, Paul, I'm not taking the pain away, but let me tell you something. My grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, I'm there. In your pain, I'm there. In your difficulties, I'm there. Would you stand with me today? I apologize. I've gone a little longer than usual, but I don't apologize for obeying God. Because there's somebody in here today that the Lord has spoken so clearly to your life. You've gotten the answer. It may not be the answer you wanted, but you've got the answer. I wonder if there's somebody today, in just a moment, you would come down. And instead of coming down to give, to let God take the pain, you would come and you would say, God, I give you the pain. Not in a way of getting rid of it, but I give you the outcome of this. I give it to you, Lord. And in this, I pray that your grace... Your grace would be sufficient. And I believe in the Holy Ghost. If you would do that, there will be a strength that will come in this place. If you are brand new here and you've never been here before and you're going through things in your life, let me tell you this today, that God loves you and God can give you the strength to make it through any dark valley you're going through. But is there anybody here today that you're in the pain, you're going through difficulty, but that you're willing to come down and say, God, I need a fresh revelation of your grace in my life. Anybody willing? You're not coming down to kneel. You're not coming down to beg, but you're coming down to say, God, I need your grace in my life to deal with this pain. Is there anybody today that you need to talk to the Lord for a moment? Come on. I know there's many. I know there's many. But is anybody going to be honest with yourself and honest with God and respond? Come on, that's it. There's a door of greatness in front of you. And it's the pain that will unlock it. Oh. Can you be sensitive to those around you for a moment? Can you be sensitive to those around you? And let the Lord use you. Come on, folks. Let the Lord use you for a moment. Let the Lord use you. Let the Lord use you.
Let the Lord use you today. In the name of Jesus. 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 Name of Jesus. Come on, there's some of you that need to respond. There's some more of you that need to respond. The Holy Ghost has spoken, but you've got to let the Lord help you today. You've got to give God the opportunity. God, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. 